Hey fellow fraud fighters, I'm Jimmy Fong, CCO at Seon, and welcome to the Cat and Mouse podcast. Seon is fortunate to work with businesses such as the likes of Revolut, Nubank, and Patreon in the fight against fraud. But with this podcast, we want to provide a comfortable space for people to talk about the daily challenges, topics on the horizon, and ultimately give us all a better insight into the mindset of fraudsters. And with that, on with the show. Guys, uh, this is uh, this is a bit oddy. We're not normally in this situation where we've got mics and uh, we're in this candid uh, discussion. Um, so let me start off. It's um, mid twenty seventeen. You guys launch Seon. Uh, take take back. What what led you to launch Seon? What what happened before that? Uh, we were good university friends with Tamash uh, back in the days, and you know, uh, as every good university friend, we were just having beers, pulling all nighters, and then um, started working on a crypto exchange. Mm. Uh, this was back in I don't know twenty fifteen or something. Back when cryptos were nowhere near as popular as they are today. And after starting to accept credit card payments, we were faced with a bunch of fraud, a bunch of chargebacks occurred and people were paying with stolen credit card information. And we realized how big of an issue online fraud can be. And then uh, we, we basically started developing our own tool after being frustrated with the fraud prevention okay. space out there. Yes, I think... Um... You know, it, it goes back to even some years before because uh, we become friends through our uh, shared enthusiasm of, you know, crypto and generally like the, you know, financial system. It was not called fintech so much back then because there were no now banks, but we knew that, you know, this will come. And then launching the crypto exchange was our first venture, which didn't leave too long, to be honest, of course. We know the reason why, because we were attacked by fraudsters, cyber criminals. So at this point, you know, we actually had to look into the fraud prevention and detection market. And we have seen a few things. And launching into Central Europe, because that was my understanding is like mathematics discipline and computer science discipline is so high in that region. But I can only imagine that the cleverest, uh, if you like, fraudsters <laughs> have some really good discipline to, to kind of exploit. So when you guys opened doors as like a, a crypto exchange in the CE and you were one of the first to offer fiat exchange, like that must have attracted, you know, all those, uh, all those kind of uh, fraudsters to your, to your platform in the first couple of days, I imagine. Yeah, definitely. I mean, you know, crypto is essentially cash for fraudsters because... It's an irreversible form of payments and, and card, so credit card payments are, uh, of course, reversible form of payments because you can just call your bank. You can say that you know, it was not you who have purchased this thing and uh, then, you know, they might or might not reimburse you, but mostly they will. So, yeah, um, maybe Vance, you can elaborate what we've seen on the market back then, which we still kind of witness um, and, 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 you know, the reason why we have created or or uh, GTM go-to-market strategy or business model based on uh, our, our learnings and, and, you know, still it doesn't change much. much. Yeah, sure. I mean, uh, we've talked a lot about this. You, you probably know our story quite well, Jimmy. And I think there was a time when you yourself was, uh, were frustrated with, you know, the outlooks of the fraud prevention market. Uh, when I say that all these providers out there are aiming for top tier 
enterprise clients mm. they don't have pricing model that's transparent you know you have to in order to get your hands on the product you have to sit through multiple discovery and sales calls so i mean that in itself i don't think is um is is too preferable when we're looking at the long tail customer segment or even a merchant or operator at the size of what we were back then they're not created for any online businesses so essentially we have realized that we should create something that can be used later for uh, any online business. So as Ben has explained, you know, not only the commercial model, but even their product features were not publicly listed on the website. You had to go through numerous uh, discovery and sales calls to even sample their product. And they asked even uh, specific, uh, you know, fees for onboarding and, and support. So they were more for larger type of clients and um and then you know we have decided to actually build our own in-house tool for this reason but then you know we have also realized that it could be a great b2b software service uh, company so we have pivoted completely to to see on yeah but jimmy this was your frustration with the with okay. the industry in itself wasn't it yeah you're right um it and it made sense though because as risk tech kind of became more successful and um, as, they, as their own uh, kind of company grew, it made sense actually to focus in on who was going to be your best customers. And those are generally speaking like the bigger names, right? So whether it was tier one bank, big you know, companies like an Apple, for instance, a big e-com company. So my view was pretty much most risk tech evolved to that if they did well. And they kind of tripled down on actually they only wanted to help those bigger deals. Mm -hmm. And it was almost like what fueled um, it's like a self-fulfilling thing to grow even more. They could only speak to like a mega bank yeah, yeah, because yeah. It, that's, that's how they yeah. get recognized as a, you know, as a, as a company when they close those deals. Yep. So it was a bit of a, like a self-fulfilling like um, prophecy there. Yeah. Yeah. But that's the thing with like, you know, if you, if you look at the Sierra marketplace, there are players like Salesforce mm -hmm. and then imagine if all the players will be Salesforce and there will be no HubSpot or Pipedrive, yeah. uh, we try to be like, you know, one of those players, of course. And, um, and you know, this, this, this is our mission, essentially. So, um, um, yeah, uh, another note on this is, is what we have seen back then when we have faced uh, fraudulent attacks ourselves is that every customer of ours had, you know, an email address or a phone number. And of course, when they have interacted with our website, we could collect their IP address and device information. So even these data sources could reveal hundreds, if not thousands of useful data points for risk assessment. So we could have went, you know, on the way of integrating an ID verification provider, but this is not bulletproof because you can buy a stolen ID for a couple of US dollars. Um, they are friction in the onboarding process. So this can lead to churn and decrease user experience. That's true though, right? I'm actually like literally asking someone to go grab a bit of ID like at that point in time, you know, that's the whole thing. They've got to go find their wallet, go pull it out, you know, take a selfie or whatever it is. And those are cool technologies, but you're right. That is marketing churn, right? That, I, I can't imagine the drop off what that must be. Yeah, about like 50%. I, I don't know. It's fine when you're opening a bank account, but when you're trying to buy, you know, like, uh, yeah. I don't know, you're trying to order food online or you're trying to sign up for a service. It's yeah. not so cool. Yeah, well, of course, if, you know, there's a regulatory reason to ask for ID because yeah. of anti-money laundering reasons, it makes sense, but it doesn't make it as well as bulletproof. So still, as we see, we work with companies also who utilize ID verification products at the point of sign up, but still they need more checks to be done in order to ensure that, you know, even those customers are genuine who goes through even the normal QIC process. 
let's take a step back. So, so this was university for you guys. Uh, what like did were you just pals like from like the beginning of university? What was the link up actually for you two? It's funny because uh, <laughs> I I moved to Budapest uh, from Kecskemét, which is a town in south of Hungary, and I had a good friend, my pal Balint, who we were roommates with or flatmates with during our university years, and he was studying business informatics. I was studying business management, mm. and uh, Tamas was studying business informatics as well. So through Balint. We got to know each other and uh, Balint is actually a product manager uh, right yeah. now at Sion. So, he joined I think what, two, three months ago? Yeah, yeah. something. He's, he's, yeah, he's doing a good job. So, yeah. kudos to him. Oh, it's a public shout out to yeah. Balint. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. That's, that's good. Thanks to him. So, he was the connection point and then you guys, um, crypto was kind of the shared thing. What, what, was that? balance also his interest or no, no, just I, you guys kind I of think uh, we clicked and, hmm. and then I moved away to Germany and we were kicking off this uh, this fraud prevention uh, project of ours after you know suffering massive losses it was a good uh, initiative at the German University entrepreneurship and um, there was a couple of investors coming in there and we wanted to we knew we wanted to secure funding hmm. so that's when we initially pitched and then, um, you know, after 2017 or at, at the start of 2017, we were able to actually secure funding round, which had nothing to do with entrepreneurship or anything. Yeah. Uh, we got actually very good feedback from potential investors at that time. And, you know, that, that, that has made us to, to work on it full yeah. time at some point. So, you know, the feedback we got was excellent. And even we have spoken with the founder of Referendo, who actually have had the same problem yeah, yeah. and he wanted to invest but then the timing wasn't right for us because we had just one semester left so we wanted to start you know remotely next to school but you know that delayed the whole kickoff and then 2017 uh, is when we have officially launched um, Benz and myself are sitting in a co-working space Balint, Dali or uh, CTO and then Miklos, Kish or CPO join during the first months and we were a team of I think end of 2017, about eight people, maybe. Yeah, but still in a co-working and we have moved to our apartment office, which was in the um, best areas in uh, Budapest. Uh, we, we were there for two years afterwards. And, and you know, um, we have scaled up uh, when, you know, we have at you, we were only 18 people and um, and now we are 140. So um, yeah, maybe tell, tell us you, Jimmy, more about how did you Meet, meet us maybe yeah. that would be also interesting <laughs> yeah, this is uh jumping back you were frustrated with the industry in itself right so yeah, I mean, yeah. Uh, that, that wasn't a joke right it's um, quite similar to how we were frustrated when we started our company you know so it was the perfect mission for you to to jump in there yeah i mean for me right i'd spent uh at that point 13 years in this space and i was i was really lucky at the last um financial crisis that's when i could have entered into e-com and payments fraud um, and I was really lucky to be part of uh, one of the kind of original European cyber source team yeah. uh, at that stage. So I felt like amazing colleagues, amazing kind of tech, um, especially back then it was kind of pioneering. Um, but man, after 13 years, uh, <laughs> I was like, everyone's doing the same stuff. And it was really hard for a customer to actually look at kind of like your problem when you were looking for other yeah. solutions. You were looking yeah. around and you're like, crap, we need something. But how, how do you prove value quickly? Um, and it's, it's frustrating because it's all hidden. It's hidden behind a firewall, right? And you have to go engage on a lengthy sales process. 
you know, somebody's doing a discovery call on you, making sure you're actually worth you know, exposing their API reference to. Um, and so after 13 years, quite frankly, I was, I was um, hopping out of uh, fraud and payments for the first time. Uh, and I was in the middle of a 90-day um, uh, ramp in to a new startup, uh, just Series A uh, funded. They were funded by Microsoft. I was going more into cybersec. So I kind of saw the future as like e-com fraud detection dead. is dead. <laughs> like there's no yeah. innovation. There's a, you know, everyone's doing the same stuff. Now like, here you are. You exactly. Know, yeah. yeah. Here I am. <laughs> so, so yeah, that, that story is obviously ridiculous. That, and there's no other way to really describe it. Right. Thomas, uh, it was a crazy story of, um, me, uh, the Monday I, joining. I heard you wanted to meet him to talk him out of, uh, actually, you know, doing what we do best. Yeah, uh, it, it, that is... Uh, you uh, were going to rant and uh, <laughs> vent how terrible, you know, this complete industry is in itself. Yeah, like my, my thing, I was, I was doing a favor to um, the headhunter yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and it was very, it was very upfront that, listen, I'm in town anyway, I'm in London uh, that day and, and it should, and I should not have been free, but I was. Anyway, I was like, listen, I'll go meet uh, Tamash and you know, hear what's happening. Um, I've never heard of Seon before yeah, at that yeah, stage. Yeah. And I was like, oh, you know, what? I'll, I'll spew on him on how it's too <laughs> congested, this market. There's, you know, what's the opportunity? Forget it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, forget about it. <laughs> That's kind of sure crazy, right? <laughs> I said this to you almost like at the front, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. There are so many providers out there. If you check their website, they actually say the same thing, you know, machine learning, oh. rules engine, device fingerprinting. And, you know, you can see the same product like copy pasted multiple times, but you can never try without commitment. So, yeah, that, yeah. But then, you know, when you actually listened to me and understood that, hey, we try to do different, yeah. like completely. Towers gave you the quick pitch, uh, most likely. Quick pitch know, turned yeah. into four and a half oh, hours. You did a demo <laughs> as well. <Of> All right. <laughs> <laughs> Pulled out his laptop <laughs> and he's like, he come in, he, he's, he's come in, yeah, he's a good sales guy, right? Yeah. Convinced and then you. it was on a Thursday evening and then, yeah, over the weekend we could figure out the partnership details and then on Monday, you know, we were, we have met in London Bridge. I was trying to set up the UK company, you know, it was raining, we were under a bridge. bridge. <laughs> I was talking to accountants and, um, and yeah, that, this was about two weeks before the lockdown, right? Uh, I think one, one week? No, it was that week. It was that week because even in that jam-packed week, I got the opportunity at the end of the week to pop out to Budapest. Yeah, to yeah our, you did. Our, our yeah, run-back Sebastian office, uh, yeah. which, which for me it was awesome because it was the, the heart of downtown, the, yeah. the kind of cool like, area, the equivalent of Soho in London, right? Yeah. In Budapest. Well, we're not far from it now, but yeah, it was a different feeling. Yeah, it was just three rooms. I think, yeah, 18 people. Had a shower and a <laughs> bathtub and the, the kitchen. Best, the best was, yeah, the, yeah, the demo room was literally the actual cupboard room. The yeah, one it was a mop, cupboard room. And there was a real mop there. The conference room was the kitchen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that was funny. Yeah, we have scaled up compared to this point in, point in time. So, yeah, I mean, you know, um, pandemic, uh, it was just a period for us uh, where we have witnessed accelerated growth. As we all know, <laughs> so um, you know, for me, it was it was really like a, a big learning curve, especially in, in this time, because that's where we have to actually build out a lot of frameworks, you know, a lot of uh, playbooks, uh, marketing, sales, product development. Back then, we were more like you know, um, really small scale operation. Eighteen people, you can manage, you know, by just you know, sitting in the office, having like face to face discussions. But then, you know, 
the pandemic started and then we had to still, you know, scale and not only because more customers were coming in, we were doing better on sales and marketing, but as well as we had to add more engineers, we had to add more customer success. Actually, we haven't had customer success. I was the customer success until <laughs> yeah, end, of yeah, last, yeah. end of last yeah. summer. Very long time. Yeah. That's not even a joke, right? I remember like uh, all weird hours, the joint Skype um, groups that we yeah. had the customers, like Tamash was always on yeah. it, uh, like responding, like so customer focused. And I think that's good because that's you being, you know, you, you want to hear right from the customer what their pain point is, you know, where you can help. Um, yeah, from the beginning, you know, it was a customer driven development. So we were building features for them and not for us <laughs> because that's how we could sell the features. But as you could see and see now that, you know, we were working on an industry agnostic tool. I think that that has helped a lot not to have specific focus on one industry, but just, you know, utilizing these data points, which I was talking about before, the IP device, email, phone, and having access to publicly accessible data points on scale. I think that's what really makes us different from all these legacy providers and, and all the black box machine learning based providers that, you know, we don't try to uh, compete with because we are, I think um, we are doing something completely different. Yeah, I think uh, also important that this mindset came from uh, the beginning because when we were doing the initial demo calls and sales pitches, we always listened really closely to what they were expecting um, in terms of features and what they wanted to see, which we didn't have included in the product back then. So, you know, after hanging up from those demos and talking to potential customers or even our current customers, we'd go straight away over to the dev team and, you know, ask them, okay, how long would this take? How long would that take? Uh, in order for you to actually develop that specific feature. Mm. And I think that's where a lot of companies don't actually, you know, they goes wrong because they don't listen to their customers or their to be customers. Mm. But we always took that into consideration, even when developing our, you know, our social KYC tools like email, phone analysis. Um, the phone analysis was completely like pretty much uh, driven by that customers were seeing what we were doing based on an email address. Hmm. They said, okay, can you do that for a phone number? Said, no, no, no. And then a couple months later, we said, oh yeah, in a month's time, we'll have it ready. And then sometime later, you know, it was full on rolled out and they were happy to start using it immediately. You know, it's always good to let the customers um, help with the product roadmap because they will be the one who will, you know, use them. And, uh, and yeah, from, from the beginning, like this was our focus point. Uh, but as well as, uh, you know, we were, you know, kind of looking always in, in the future about, you know, what, what else could be done and, and what other things we could add to the core product. Because of course, sometimes the customers have uh, custom requests that we don't really try to support in some cases. Yes. If it can be used by a group of other customers, yeah. but nevertheless, it's, 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 it's not something we have done. And that's the difference, you know, between the legacy providers and us, because the legacy providers as you all know, sends usually like an on-site team to the customer yeah. who then, then work on customization, on fine-tuning the rules. What we try to do is creating a self-serve, an off-the-shelf product that, that can be used like uh, without human in involvement. And, uh, and that's why we have launched even the, the docs, uh, the new version, which you have seen already. It's, yeah. it's, I think it's amazing. That's, and I think that's a really good differentiator is that like Seon is a proper SaaS in the sense that it's, it's, you can access it very quickly, you can benefit from all the tech that's been built up, and 
it's very different from, like you said, the kind of like my background, quite frankly, of like tier one, you know, kind of setups, like you said, Tamasha, that normally means a, a whole professional service engagement, which is probably like three to six months mm -hmm. before they go live on the platform, right? Yeah. Um, which, of course, was just not an option when you guys were no, like no, crypto no. exchange we, on day one. Like, to oh, don't worry, I will just yeah. hold for you know half a year. That just wasn't an option. Yeah, definitely. Also, I think what uh, what mattered a lot when 2017 we closed that micro seed investment, which was 50k euros in the very beginning. Hmm. We had a very short runway, right? So we had to bring How in short was 50k for you guys then. I, I don't know. Yeah, eight months, eight months okay. uh, tops and. Okay. You know, we had to bring in revenue because we knew if we weren't going to bring in revenue, then nothing's nothing was going to come of uh, this. So, like, um, we had to reduce that time to go live, and we had to actively think about, okay, who do we target? What do we do? What's our uh, offering, and how can we shorten that time span? So, I, mean. I would say that we were quite lucky at that point because we almost ran out of cash, which would yeah. have forced to close off the business that would have been sad uh, as a first venture but <laughs> it happens quite often yeah, right like in the, yeah um so we were lucky and fortunate enough to uh meet um in one hand uh, the first international client which was a gambling operator out of italy and as well as um one of our angel investors uh from the uk who actually had their, his own vpn um provider and then he faced uh, fraudulent transactions. So through one of our investors, he met us and he gave it a shot and he tried and in one month he could reduce by 90% the fraudulent transactions. So then he was like, okay, I'm going to invest like, and we have created another round. He's an angel investor. Yeah, we were, um, we, 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 we've been able to, to uh, create a 500,000 round uh, late 2017, early 2018 euros 500,000 yeah. euros for that on that initial uh, that initial um kind of seed uh, funding how was it just you two at that stage or did you also have like balance and mickey the 500,000 or 50 the 50 i thought it was me and yeah, it was yeah, literally yeah, yeah. just the two of you guys yeah. at that stage i mean right? uh, initially it was the two of us sitting in the co-working office yeah, space yeah. for like a month or what, so what did yeah. bd look like for you guys like how like you talk about look like banter yeah it was yeah, uh, basically Benza, I, was doing, right? uh, I had we we found a uh, a person from the Philippines. I think that was through Upwork or yes. something. Right. Um, and he was Jonathan. He was booking demo calls, like he was doing cold outreach. And we gave him like, hey, target this vertical, target that vertical. And he would do like scripted cold outreach where he had um, an email sequence, and um, it converted into demos and it was converting quite well so i was doing some days like five six demos back to back oh wow you know, from yeah. morning to to afternoon and was just pushing it and then every demo call like every day i would fine-tune the pitch because i you know i got the hang of what they want to hear a bit more and more yeah, imagine cool. like the first one that was that was really crappy <laughs> what, were you, what were you demoing in those first days then uh we had a product back then because Hi. we had an early adopter who was using it and um and the product worked well sometimes like yeah it was really amateur because sometimes remember tell me like uh when i was demoing the the developers would push something out into the live environment and yeah. the whole thing would break <laughs> so i would be like crap in front of the in front of the you know uh, in the middle of the demo just call a, just a test bed honest <laughs> customer yeah and we didn't even have a dev environment uh, i remember it, it was part of the learning curve i would say and also what Benson did was the search for the product market fit because you know we could 
pitch to a lot of different industries and and you know it it could be used for different use cases as well which you know we we have now um basically have like validated and um and and you know even back then uh, i would say that you know um well when we have started we only had the pitch deck and like the product was like one like an, uh, just an api like line just of line of code that you could <laughs> see on the browser and if yeah. you have sent some items with like postman and you could see like you know the results like the score and and some other no, data that was points pre 2017 yeah yeah but you know then when we got the graphical interface i think that was mid 2017 and then you know we actually went like live and at that point we were uh you know on the market already and, and and working with some international clients which was great but then you know the the growth was true um yeah um well first we did this outreach period which was efficient but then we realized like you know the conversion is much lower and you have to do a lot of uh legwork for out code outreach and you it works the best if you already have an established brand and and you have references from different industries because if you are not well known is just you know like uh, hit and miss so it's very hard to get any anything out of uh, code outreach when you are early stage so we have realized that actually inbound marketing was was the much more um fruitful way long-term yeah. scalable so Benza started blogging so we <laughs> yeah i was writing blog posts yeah, yeah. <laughs> they're good i mean you can still scroll down on our yeah. resources page in our blog posts you can find like my very early ones I, I I was you know adding some draft points. Yeah. Bansa brought out the the content itself, but we have we had a lot of. Uh, uh, sorry, what led you to even like recognize that inbound made sense, and what kind of was it? Just research, or was it speaking to other like tech companies? I would I would say SEO was like a thing we we've heard about, and you know we saw that other other providers didn't have like a very uh, interesting uh, resources uh, page or hub because they were just you know mentioning like some statistics and not the nitty gritty stuff or like, hey, how to DIY for prevention, because we wanted to give hints and advices and ideas to the target audience. So we were the remember, Tommy, we did those posts, which was kind of new and nobody was doing that. Like uh, we tried to buy tickets on the dark net markets. <laughs> yeah, and yeah. Stuff you like were that. doing some cheeky stuff, right? Yeah, In the yeah, blogs, yeah. Because yeah. that's probably what a fraud manager wants to. Yeah. I mean, everybody's like, read about pop fraud trends right yeah, i mean right. it's nothing right. new but nobody's read about hey we tried to buy uh fraud fraudulent tickets on the dark web and here's what we found and yeah. stuff like how to spoof your ip address how to you know find the best proxy provider for you how to spoof your browser fingerprint and what tools are there and what counter measurements are there you know to, to find out such activities obviously we were also like Okay, but what if fraudsters read our, like, what if somebody reads our blog posts and they become a fraudster because of it or something? But we said, it's just the calculated risk. Actually, it was funny because some of our competitors who are legacy providers uh, have stolen our content, yeah, like yeah. copy-pasted to their blog. It's, it, it got out of control because some, uh, some of our yeah, competitors, they stole it. and they... Yeah. It's a really good point though, right? Is the target bar persona, you guys kind of in, intuited early on. Like, that's actually what's interesting to them is these how do fraudsters do this and exactly, if you're making this exactly. like the yeah, discovery yeah. point that's yeah. pretty cool yeah when we have faced you know back then with the crypto exchange fraudulent transaction ourselves mm-hmm. we have really deep dived into the dark web and have seen you know like the tools the methods the services yeah. that are offered and utilized by fraudsters so we spent some time to understand the logic behind so that even you know pushed us even closer to 
create a tool against uh, you know such uh, activities. So I think that was that was useful for our target audience. And then this inbound led strategy helped us to generate uh, inbound demos, which are of course much cheaper than outbound or PPC driven demos. Um, but today we have to do all. So yeah, and I love I love it's like a different intent. Like for me, like part of that reason of why. Um, even though I was like saturated and quite sick of mm -hmm. that industry, quite frankly, is, is I would say it's a mix of stuff. It was, of course, the way that the product was going, but mm -hmm. I would say more exciting. I'm in commercial, right? It was literally you guys uh, wanted to go to market in a totally opposite way that I kind of thought in my head, this must be where it's going, as in <laughs> this, is, this is more sustainable with inbound. And for me, it's like the macro of people are making decisions differently now. Like it used to be that, oh, I get it, like 10 years ago, um, your CIO telling you the fraud team, hey, you have to use this tool because somebody outreached me and uh, we got on well and I was convinced of the business case and I got a good deal. Now it's like um, people using Slack, people using Twilio in the kind of dev community. It's actually discovered by like the operational user. So I think that's a thesis you guys go for. It's yeah. the fraud managers that should drive it. I think it. even a yeah. simpler ethos is just looking at how consumers use everyday services like Netflix or Spotify, mm. whereas, you know, in the middle of the night, you just can get your hands on whatever you want to watch or listen to. So the world is moving in this direction, and it's totally okay, and I'm happy that it is because it's easier for everybody and it provides a better user experience and customer journey. Yeah, you know, platforms like G2 or Captera Hubs, B2B buyers to um, compare products and, and, you know, to get a better understanding of what they do. Mm. Um, it's always easier, I think, to sell to the end user and that's why from the, from the beginning we have done that. So, um, you know, bottom to top, uh, always, uh, let's say, uh, is the way for uh, product-led companies. And top bottom is more like for those legacy providers who you know sell the the more like the the high level um, things through white papers and and you know case studies that actually doesn't tell you anything about how the product was utilized. We try to do the opposite in in this sense too. Yeah, I think that's really cool. And maybe also like as you guys have become experts in the space, like what's your view on um, stuff like total addressable market? You know, given especially like last eighteen months with the pandemic. As you said, Tamash, it's kind of accelerated sales growth. But what's your what's your view on we're we're we are growing massively, uh, fortunately. But um, you know, how big is being able to help online business with you know safeguarding risk and fraud? What's what's your view on how big this can get in terms of helping? Yeah, sure. I mean, um, look, um, we were doing this exercise in terms of looking at total addressable market back when we were pitching in like 2016, and then. Uh, 2017 um but like i don't really want to put a number on it uh, it's hard to come up with that in my opinion but nevertheless what we are seeing is that more and more um jurisdictions are picking up on the fact that you know online fraud is a massive issue hmm. like i know the uk is actively focused on actually raising awareness public awareness um, so that's awesome. But the, the flip side of, of that is that fraud is an ever-growing issue, right? So with uh, COVID coming in, my grandmother, uh, who grew up in, uh, in Hungary, which was part of the Soviet Union, had to stand in line for bananas when she was a child. Now she's ordering bananas online. 
um which is something new right uh, i mean looking at the fact that she's over 80 uh, <laughs> but then again the 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 counter side to that is that she is vulnerable right she's not as knowledgeable about technology and uh, and the internet as i am or thomas is or you are so if she's submitting her credit card information online uh, she may not know that it's actually tesco uh, or or another site where some fraudsters trying to steal her information so i think as more people are included in um, the digital world like my grandmother and as more people are there's more people vulnerable and as with covid fraud rates are rising due to the fact that there's uh there's more people trying to or actually believing in these money mule scams and so on right it's it's fueling because people are going out of business they're in need of cash so they apply for fake job advertisements where they submit their details and so on so the point i'm trying to get at is there's so many factors in play at the moment with the world moving more digital the issue is ever rising and i i think without raising public awareness it's not going to stop anytime soon yeah, it's not only phishing, but, you know, data breaches, it's happening more and more often, more passwords uh, are being leaked. And even if you, you know, try to be very protective and you use password management tools, it can be still leaked. And then someone try, could try to use the password on another site because it's publicly accessible. Um, you, even if you are very tech savvy, you know, you can't prevent uh, one of the platforms that you have used in the past to be hacked or, you know, target of a ransomware or a malware attack or even yourself. But in the end, you know, it's, it's, it's static data points that can be stolen and, you know, can be reused. We have fuel for joint attacks and fraudsters and cyber criminals are also uh, looking always for new ways for, um, for just making money. I also think of things like, um, for us at least, um, we're, we're lucky to work increasingly with really cool fintechy brands as well. Um, who, who would you say is kind of ideal customer profile for Seon? Like who's a good fit uh, for us? Yeah, it's, uh, it's hard to say because we have more than 20 industries who, who we support. And, and, you know, some of the largest now banks, some of the largest gambling and uh, iGaming operators um, or BNP online lending companies. So... Wherever there is a risk that, you know, you don't uh, or you are not the person who you say to be if you, are trying to, if you are trying to steal someone's identity and, you know, trying to access something, you know, in, uh, in, in, instead of someone else that you, you know, say to be, then there's a risk of fraud. So I think in that case, uh, a tech like ours can be useful. So uh, it's hard to say ICP, but if you say ICP, like online businesses, <laughs> so... Okay. Uh, yeah, what is like a you know um, um, a financial transaction that, uh, that's taking place? So uh, I would say that it, it's a very wide uh, uh, term that that we can use for to answer this question. I, I think in my head, I think of like devi companies, so dev-led companies, and, and mainly because you know, like you said, Tamash, uh, you know, weirdly for fraud tech, we push like documentation public facing, right? Mm. Like API references available. So so I, I know like the back to that demo channel example. Like on Slack, I see more and more kind of techie users discover Seon because yeah. they've probably Googled for, you know, how to compare and everyone else, there's a firewall. Yeah, uh, yeah, so yeah. we're literally, it's available online. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah. So that's, that's what I see as more techie kind of users. 
Yeah, but BMPL, like Thomas mentioned, I mean, your question was around uh, cool uh, verticals. BMPL is definitely one of them. And mm. lately, it's an up and coming vertical, right? So it's becoming yeah. uh, more and more popular. Like uh, Bloomberg is talking about it for the past couple of months. Uh, there's a lot of money being poured into it. Um, there's talks that Apple is going to introduce uh, BMPL. And next to the Apple Pay, like you know, mm. you can just press a button and you'll pay an installment. So that's definitely, I think, um, something to watch out for when it comes to interesting verticals in the fintech verticals in the future. Uh, I'd love to hear Ben's uh, Tamash as well. Um, for us, you know, the world of fraud fighting, I think in the past it used to be quite siloed as well. Um, but you look at the opposite, um, the adversary, you look at literary fraudsters. Like how they share information, yeah. you know, whether it's Telegram groups or it's uh, old school forums, you know, some of the more old school on the dark web you have to access. Like that's not the same for them. They they share information so easily. Um, what do you think the fraud fighting community can do better uh, so we can knock down those barriers? Because there's there's cool stuff out there. But what do you guys reckon? Yeah, I think this relates to your question of uh, like the addressable market and what fraud, what's happening with regards to fraud nowadays. Mm. And I mentioned raising public awareness, but I think the the other really important thing, uh, which I emphasize during conferences and roundtable discussions, that I'd like to see more of is actually the community when it comes to fraud fighting so building that community and evolving it and merchants and operators actually sharing information with one another mm. and in some verticals i see that uh, the community is really good like in the travel industry travel fraud um, they tend to actually openly and transparently share info meanwhile in other verticals i feel like so competitive they really don't want to like you know they don't even want to give a hint of what they're dealing with nowadays when it comes to fraud and I think that's definitely not the right way to approach it. So the community should be developed. There's some good initiatives out there, but um, I think it's a different mindset for the operators and merchants as well. I would like, I would love to see a independent um, uh, organization to emerge, you know, and uh, and and just be able to facilitate conversations around fraud trends. Because in specific industries, we see really similar trends that might be initiated by the same cyber criminal group. So, you know, when they see the same type of patterns, why uh, is it possible to share and learn from each other just in another industry? Fraud is not something that you could learn in a university or, or, or you know, in, in school. That's something you have to um, uh, gain experience on, 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 on the job itself. So I would say that um, some form of collaboration, starting from, you know, just being um, uh, able to, um, to to compare the products from an independent point of view. It's hard to say from our perspective because we're also selling a solution, we're a solution provider. And, um, and, and you know, just uh, somehow to, uh, to, to avoid those us, you know, to, to pay fees to be different sponsors at events and organizations. That should be like um, an org that, you know, helps to facilitate conversations and then, you know, as I said, compare products, but even shared insights, you know, and, and just create like a, a peer to peer exchange of, of, you know, all this information that could be like really useful, but it's hard to do from our, our end because we're also tight, we are a business, you know, so we also try to, uh, help merchants with our own tool. Uh, of course there are some other tools that does something better, uh, than us. It's obvious. Um, but at the same time, you know, I think the industry lacks of these, um, you know, places or, or forums when 
this kind of conversation can can take place because as has, as we have discussed everyone is high those legacy providers yeah. companies invest a lot of money in those providers and then they don't want to like you know give out a lot of information about what they do because other companies maybe haven't paid for that and um and yeah as ben said in the for example in the gambling industry uh even um, they're attacking each other so uh we have seen cases when uh, one operator created you know profiles and and then just trying to um target another operator who is you know doing the same thing so it's it, it it's quite uh competitive in in some some industries yeah i've seen it also um i remember a customer they're in the uh, like the super app industry so they do everything right mm-hmm. um but like i remember them explicitly saying hey our data is our asset and yeah. so when we use kind of kind of cool tools like a seon like they almost don't want to shout out about it because it gives them a bit of a competitive advantage yeah. exactly. and it's this weird dynamic uh, because of that yeah if they don't let to use their logo on our site or in a case studies uh-huh. yeah because yeah, they, they don't want their competitors choosing yeah. it as well yeah it's hard to say hard to share the great stories like that but that's the thing like you know in, in in the future i think this is going to just get bigger because a company's ip is also uh you know their frameworks their uh their playbooks uh their workflows as we have developed as well ours and i think you know that's how we can uh actually compete with the legacy providers because we have spent time on building those out so we might not want to you know get them <laughs> publicly accessible because then some uh, some other companies would get a lot of inspiration from, yeah, from them. I think it also depends on what the result, like the end result of um, the fraudulent activity is going to be. Just thinking out loud, maybe in the travel industry, I, I read once that um, very large part, more than half of the cases of, um, of travel fraud when it comes to like airline ticket fraud, uh, they result in further fraudulent activity as well like human trafficking, for example, drug smuggling, and so on. I mean, may, maybe in the airline industry, you know, there's a, there's a bigger stake mm. at hand. So that's why they're willing to share more info and be more open about it. I don't know. Who knows? Yeah, I, I like our, I like the, I think it's a more progressive uh, kind of view that I think we're trying to promote that at the end of the day, fraudsters massively share. Uh, and I think with us, I think we're trying to promote general education like to up the game of fraud fighters and we don't care if it's like a competitive solution the market's big enough where clearly the end business needs that help and i think that's a much more first of all i think it's the right thing to do for a developing digital economy in the first place but secondly i think that's quite a confident pose because you know our engineers are working hard to provide value at the end of the day if we are so scared that competitors can grab our ip then we're probably not doing a strong enough yeah. job, quite frankly, of the value we offer. And I think that's quite cool that we're like, listen, we will help all fraud fighters. That kind of the ethos of yeah, what we're trying to build it as community. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. And at, at the end of the day, I hope that you know we do create an impact in the world. So that's um, not to forget that uh, we are working on, we get up every day uh, to, to actually stop these bad actors from doing what they do and potentially save uh, a lot of people like my grandmother for example remember that time one of our investors oh, yeah. uh, grandfather mm. like uh, he has wired like 20 grand to to froster and our investor was uh, calling us so if he can help anyhow but it was already wired so yeah couldn't so help much. you can't revert that but they actually didn't they were scared of telling him 
so the family didn't want to let him know that you know like the 20k is mm. gone he was like 93 uh, years old because so. he was yeah he was over 90 and you know they were scared that he couldn't actually handle the news he wired all his savings i mean he didn't fire but he uh he fall uh as a victim for a phishing attack so okay. they have access to his uh bank account that's really and, sad uh, eh? like that like that's becoming just more common everyone can think of unfortunately a relative a family yeah friend. so i mean what the the thing that people don't really talk about is the psychological toll it can have on you if you're a victim of fraud and like imagine yeah just this uh, but anyhow like i i wouldn't it's never happened to me luckily but i wouldn't feel too good if my bank account uh, my bank card details were stolen on my savings were wired out it would definitely give me some sleepless nights so well, this is uh this is uh the beginning of season two the cat and mouse show um we we uh asked the question at the end of the show on season one hey listen in the world of fraud fighter like you guys full-time fraud fighters versus say fraudsters um benza who's the cat who's the mouse love to hear that from you tommy as well uh, good question. I mean, uh, <laughs> um, it's it's funny because the mouse is always uh, the cheeky one uh, doing the tricks, and then the the cat is running after it. But uh, I view ourselves as as cheeky ones as well because we're doing something very differently. Um, so it's very hard to say. I'd like to think that you know we're uh, we're one step ahead of the game and. And we are the mouse in this case, but uh, we'll see how it turns out. I would say we are the cat, you know, because we are trying to chase and catch the small little mouse. Um, we will see on the long run, you know, who will win, but we are in a good position by knowing the tools, services, and, you know, the, the, the different ways how fraudsters operate. So we also try to stay on top of this knowledge. So I think we are very close, uh, but, you know, as long as... Um, uh, it's coexistence. I think we will do our best to try to try to catch catch the small mouse and and then you know see see what what's next. Thanks for uh, sharing some of those uh, the origin story and kind of where we are. And uh, thanks, guys. Cool. Yeah. Thanks, Jimmy. <laughs>